gay and you watching or listening right now, I know you love to be lied to. Think about it. There's Nexium. There's American politics. There's elections. There's cults. We're all being lied to. Social media. It's nuts. What do you think of that, gay? Well, I've been wondering about that lately. Hmm. Why is it that human beings love to be lied to so much? And I've got a couple of personal examples of places I've been and things I've done where I got put down right in the middle of a situation where people had been lying to each other for a long time, a cult leader. Love to talk about that, but I'd really like to look at this whole issue of what is it about us that makes us want to believe things that aren't true? I think this is fascinating. So that's what this episode of The Big Leap is all about, and we'll be right back. We're back. Hi. How you doing, Gay? I'm doing great today. How are you, Mike? I'm great. This is awesome. I'm so glad we decided to do this. I was thinking how to take on, you know, one of the things that uh, bothers me sometimes about podcasting, and I realized this whole notion of being authentic and and, uh, in full transparency to everyone watching, listening, we did an episode with Dr. Ben Hardy earlier, and he talked about how important it is to be authentic. And we all love to think that we're authentic. I like to think it. And then I was just making a video before we started. And I'm like, I'm not being authentic. I'm performing. And I know in podcasts, I want to be super authentic. I'd like to have a crazy deep conversation. But the God honest truth is I'm afraid of revealing and I'm afraid that I won't be uh, liked or I'll lose an audience. And the truth of the matter is the fastest way to get a great audience is by being super deep and authentic. So I thought, well, let's just rip in and tear apart American politics and the lies we believe. So why don't you talk a little bit about some of the thinking that you've been doing lately to get things rolling? Well, it started when somebody contacted me about something that happened way back, probably 30 years ago. Um, A group in Massachusetts, and I'm cranking my brain trying to think of the name of it, Kripalu, that was the name of it, Kripalu, contacted me and Katie, and they had had a big issue happen with their guru. Um, And he had run off with, uh, he'd gotten involved in some sexual improprieties with other members of the organization, and had run off with a whole bunch of money and left the place in a real mess. And so Katie and I, along with a couple of other uh, therapists, I remember John Gray was there and there were probably a couple of others, were invited to come in and work with the community, which if I remember correctly, was probably about 100, 150 people. There was quite a large room for them. And um, they were extremely traumatized because they'd been living inside this lie in a particular way. The guru not only had conducted these improprieties, but then he asked members of the community not to talk about it. So a couple of the women were involved, uh, were sworn to silence. Finally, one of them couldn't deal with that anymore and came forward. And then several other women came forward, too. So it involves sex and involves money. But what I was really started wondering, because all of these people in the room all the members of the community, they were all bright and they did yoga all the time and they ate vegetarian food. 
they looked like the healthiest group of people you'd ever want to see. And I came away from there wondering the first night after I went back to our rooms, I said, why is it that a group of people like that would create such a situation in their lives? So let's pause there for a moment. Let me ask you, first of all, whenever I look at a situation that I'm stuck in, I always like to ask myself, not what is the situation about, but why would I be doing it now? Why would I be creating this problem now? It takes my mind out of the content of the problem and puts it on, kind of looks at it from the outside and say, hmm, what are you doing right now? Why would you be creating this problem right now? And so I started asking members of the community, why do you think you would put yourself in a situation where you would be lied to and financially ripped off because the guru had departed, I guess, with a considerable sum of money, millions, if I uh, understand correctly. But what well, it had left, yeah, what it had left behind was this incredible cauldron of people who had been living inside a lie and then suddenly being thrown out into the real world and not knowing what to do because they'd been living in this contained community. Yeah. So here's a couple things that pop into mind as I uh, think about this. And uh, I don't remember where I saw this recently, but it effectively had something to do with um, an individual who was backed in a corner and whatever it was, it was some wise person said, you can really understand who someone is based upon how they behave when they're backed into a corner and they either lash out and they go for it. And it's like all hell breaks loose kind of like as of the time, you know, it's look at what Trump did when the election results came out um, lashing out and it's all hell breaks loose. But it's like if you back a wild animal into a corner and what they do, or do they just cower like a baby doe does? You know, they'll just flop down and play possum and possums do that as well. So I think the one of the questions to ask is, um, is the is an individual backed into a corner? But as a follower, um, what I think the number one things that drive followers and for that matter, religion, politics, et cetera, is hope. People will buy hope forever and leaders um, oftentimes do what they do for sex, money, power, but also it's a fear of loss of that. So um, there was something that popped up in the news recently. A guy was involved in a Ponzi scheme. And went on the lamb, went on the chase. And I think it was the FBI was chasing him around. And what he wound up doing is he backed up into a reservoir. I think it was near Mount Shasta with an underwater swimming device trying to get away. And he ended up sitting underwater for like 50 minutes until it got too cold and he had to come out. That is <laughs> cold that. water, by the way. It comes out of the mountain. But it's like there's a guy who got backed into a corner. He, he ran to the only place he could, you know, because like... The world gets really small when your lies are about to catch up to you. Mm. And when you're facing your innermost demon. Um, so again, I, I, I look at this and think about, uh, you know, a couple, again, anchor points that I know we're going to dive into. One of them is uh, I want to talk a little bit about Nexium, that cult, because there was a documentary I just watched. Um, I've always been fascinated by Scientology. 
Um, I've also uh, really interested in your thoughts on the election and uh, what happened with Trump, especially such a fascinating character um, on every level. And then also social media, the social dilemma, that documentary, which um, I found very fascinating. And I've always been interested in influence and persuasion. But when it comes to mind control, um, that's where I draw the line. So um, those are some of the initial thoughts. But I'm interested in what your, you know, if we want to bring this back to the Kripalu, you know, what was the resolution? What wound up happening? And what's your evaluation or thought on this? Well, it's very fascinating to me that um, a psychologist named Leon Festinger back in the 60s and early 70s at Stanford, he was a professor there, and he did a number of studies on cults. And at the time, there was a big end-of-the-world cult that was going on in the area, and he had a couple of his graduate students join the cult and infiltrate the cult. What's this guy's name again? I want to look him up while you're chatting. Leon Festinger, F-E-S-T-I-N-G-E-R, very brilliant uh, psychologist. And I got to Stanford for my PhD just after he had uh, left. So he was a very big influential person there at the time. And so uh, the, the bottom line finding of the study was he was interested to know what was going to happen the day that the day came when the cult leader said the world was going to end and the world didn't end. How would people handle that situation? It's a really fascinating moment. So he had these, these his uh, graduate students inside the cult watching all this happen. And what happened was that when it was announced that the leader was wrong and it hadn't happened, about a third, if I remember, of the people quit the cult but the rest of them became even stronger true believers. So something weird happens, and I'd love to get your thoughts about it too, because nobody's ever quite explained what is the weird thing that happens, let's say, when, you're, when your abusive daddy, when you finally see your abusive daddy, when you walk into a room and catch him beating your brother or sister or his wife or something like that, what do you do in that moment when your illusion is shattered? I know what this one is. I've thought about it a lot, but keep going. Keep going. No, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I'd like to hear your input on that. Here's what I have found. Um, and I'll tell you how I've even exploited it in the past, which is um, I think when we associate our identity, when your identity gets involved We'll stop at nothing to protect our own self-perception of who we think we are. And that includes managing and maintaining a lie. And when someone falls into the hope sold by an individual and they get their own identity wrapped up into it, and when they have propagated a lie, the lie becomes part of their identity as well. So are, we are shaped by and defined by our beliefs. Our values are the filters that let beliefs in or don't, right? They're kind of like the, the, the screen. And so um, <clears throat> what, one of the ways that I've used this in the past, and as parents, we've done it with our children, 
But uh, the most effective way to always be in power is by asking better questions and be the one who's always asking the questions. As soon as you're responding, you're already on the defensive or you might have to defend your point of view. In other words, your belief, and that includes your identity. And so um, one of the power mechanisms you can use is you could ask someone a lot of questions. It's sort of like going to court. And then you can say, but earlier you said blank. And earlier when you said blank, and you can also reinforce that and get someone to agree that they said it, they said it, and then you can catch them in the lie. But that's, again, when you're going to back that beast into a corner and you're going to see how they behave. Do they just pair, uh, do they play possum? Do they flop down and succumb or are they going to lash out? So I think uh, and by the way, I was looking this up when you were describing. Um, uh, so it's when prophecy fails was um, what Festinger came up with. And um, here's what he said here. The, the, the disconfirmation, the belief must be held with deep conviction and be relevant to the believer's actions or behavior. The belief must have produced actions that are arguably difficult to undo, which a, an identity is difficult to undo. The belief must be sufficiently specific and concerned with the real world such that it can be uh, clearly disconfirmed the dis- Disconfirming evidence must be recognized by the believer. The believer must have social support from other believers. So anyway, this is the increased conviction. Um, and again, I think in the in the with the in the case of our election, um, followers of Trump, for example, are so invested. Their identities are invested. Think about how many people have cut off ties to other family members or Uh, had them cut off. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, And that goes on both sides. I'm not just picking on Trump followers, but I, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting because um, there's so much disinformation propagated by social media and um, the kinds of disinformation that people are arguing against are um, science-based, you know, it's sort of like, don't believe in scientists. Journalism has been, and, and, and that's the part of where the Democrats have screwed themselves is they've completely destroyed journalistic credibility by having activist journalists, which is, is not, those two words should not be put together. An activist journalist, the, the nature of being a true journalist is to present both sides and to provide evidence and not be biased. And, uh, and, and that's my opinion anyway, or, or, uh, you know, I, I think that is a, a rule. It's a container that cannot be, and it should not be. Um, and if you want to be an opinion, uh, journalist, that's fine, but don't try to be pretend you're, you're one of another. But anyway, I think this is where identities have gotten uh, messed up. So I don't know if, if there's any clarity in what I just talked about other than, I've thought about it a lot, but at the crux of it is the, it's the, as soon as your identity is wrapped up in something, both you've both lost power and power can be gained over you. And that's what gets manipulated. That's really a good point. Uh, in psychology, we talk about fear, the four F's that come along with being scared, 
fight, flee, freeze, and faint. And, you know, the, the possum faints, uh, actually keels over and rolls into a ball. The um, rabbit freezes. And then other creatures, ourselves included, come out swinging when we get scared. And others run and flee. Most of the time, our personality is defined by which one of those we do when we're scared. And, you know, we can see in the White House now one response, you know, the come out flailing and flighting kind of thing. Um, Well, denial plus um, have someone else take the fall and then abandon (laughs) them. That really has been, um, again, I'm not taking any political side here other than I think he's a complete piece of work. I've never (laughs) liked him as a human being from day one. Um, That has nothing to do with my politics. It just simply has to do with his character. The but is, here's what he's always done. Get a fall guy. Uh, so disassociate, disassociate yourself from anyone who's not a true believer and destroy them the moment they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but always prop someone else up and sacrifice someone and uh, give them power until they finally have had enough. And you saw that happen with Cohen, his attorney. It's bound to happen with Giuliani in, in this case. Um, uh, but he's the he's almost the last guy who's left swinging <laughs> on Trump's behalf as of the time we're recording this and making a complete jackass out of himself. He's got I can't imagine he has any reputation left. But again, with the true believers, they don't care because, again, their identities are so wrapped up in, in a crazy belief system. So, yeah. And I think ultimately what that comes down to is a real hunger for some kind of identity for a person who doesn't feel any organically. You know, somewhere along the line, somewhere we get traumatized or interfered with in some way so that we dissociate ourselves from our bodies. And that process, start if we don't do something about that, that starts a process of us dissociating and therefore allowing ourselves to be manipulated. And I often wondered, you know, when I used to work uh, early in my career with um, family therapy situations where um, people would choose to go back into a situation that had abused them, sometimes even a week or two before, they'd still have the black eyes on their face, but they'd choose to go back into the relationship because of that hope factor that you mentioned, that somehow they can override the past by installing a new um batch of hope. And it it was devastating to see because, you know, we would work with someone to get them kind of strong again, and then they'd go back into the situation where they had originally been traumatized. That's why in the mental health profession, there's such a high burnout rate, I think, because you see things like that happening over and over again. But um, I think that what happens is somewhere along the line, a person is so hungry for identity that they glom on to whatever the thing is. And, you know, like I have a a member of my extended family that was in a deep consideration about his sexuality when he was as a teenager, and as many of us are, but he was kind of figuring out whether he was gay or straight or what kind of thing like that. And to resolve the situation, he kind of changed the subject and became a very strong religious believer. 
and sort of took the attention away from that issue. By That is really good. So when you take on an identity, that's a moral uh, fixture you can stand behind. Think about uh, how many yeah. gay priests hid behind that because in so many countries they'd be killed. Yeah. Literally. I mean, that, that is something I will tell you in um, Africa and Uganda where Vivian uh, spent a lot of time. Um, the Anglicans are very powerful there. They control communities and they do uh, tax the poor and the ignorant. And uh, I can remember meeting this Anglican priest. And I mean, this guy was about as gay as they come. And, uh, and it was just obvious, but you can hide. And, uh, and, and that would be a way where you could, um, the rule set and the engagement um, and what you can and cannot do to the institution. So let's call that an institutional identity. If I were going to make something up right now, being able to hide behind that or adopt it. So you aren't attacked or killed in, in that case or uh, whatever that may be. But uh, what do you think of that? Well, it, it illustrates my point in a way, because there's somehow a deep fear in there that the belief is taken care of on a temporary basis. It's putting that fear to bed for a while by installing a belief over the top of it. Ultimately, though, if you try to live inside a lie or live on top of a lie, your body won't let you do it. We are wired for truth. We prefer truth. In other words, the hunger deep in our bodies is to have an alignment between what goes on inside ourselves and what we speak about, and then what we speak about and what we do are lined up together. So happiness, in a way, and peace of mind comes out of a kind of alignment with your beliefs and your values. And when those things start rattling, it has to come out in some way. And I've probably worked with, over the past 40 years, I've probably worked with 100, maybe 150 different um, men and women who were former priests or nuns or people that were very involved in a religion of one kind or another. And they often go through a period of real wandering in the wilderness after they kind of break free from whatever the belief system is of not feeling, of not knowing exactly what to believe and that kind of thing, because they've been used to sitting on lies all their life. And so I've had the privilege of working with a lot of folks like that as they've kind of found a new belief system that's based on something that's organic and true for them, not something that was installed from outside. Wow. So two things popped into my head as I was listening to you. One of them is, who am I? And the other one is uh, having an identity stripped away from you. And if we explore that a little bit, now one of them would be, let's pretend you're president and then suddenly you're not because you got elected out of office. Or let's say you're a fan of a president. And you've engaged in all sorts of things. Now, again, let's just say you're a straight, logical person who believes and has a shared value system um, or an opposing value system. And it's sort of like, I'm willing to put up with crazy behavior or all sorts of stuff because I like what 
values are represented or I'm so opposed to the other that, you know, if I have to choose between a 51, 49%, I'll choose crazy as long as my values are supported. But where people get particularly defensive is imagine being a defrocked priest. Okay. That's when your identity is stripped from you. Um, uh, losing that power or having, you know, you think about um, how much work someone is willing to do. Celebrities are good examples where maintaining the illusion and wanting to be in the, in the right social community and then the depths that someone will go through to maintain the illusion or to steal um, to support the illusion. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was just, as you were speaking about that, uh, an example popped into my mind of something that I'd forgotten about. But a man once came to me who had been a very higher up person in a big spiritual organization um, at risk of their attorneys. I don't want to name it, but uh, it, it was a popular one that everybody's heard of. And at one point, the leader of the cult or group or whatever you want to call it brought in his top eight people and made this announcement that caused it kind of a caused kind of a fracture among the group and the basically the request was this he said you can't work for me unless you're willing to lie for me this is the bottom line here and at that point the guy that i worked with said i can't do that you know and so he got separated from the, the rest of you know uh he was given a chance to resign, get out of the thing and everything. But if not, he would have probably been fired. Um, and so there were one or two of them that said, hmm, that doesn't work for me. But then the others, you know, then if you are willing to step forward and make that commitment, I'm willing to lie for you. You know, that's a very powerful thing because that gets into things, obviously, that could put you into prison and all sorts of stuff like that. But that to me seemed like an acid test kind of moment, you know, that a first person is that, that wants that identity so badly. Well, and the opposite of that is banishment, tribal banishment, which I believe is, is uh, the, one of the ultimate powers of a group. So, and and again, I'm going to pick on politics here because both parties, when I say Democrat, Republican, but for that matter, I would suspect all of them, if we did enough analysis is, is, party politics. What are you, what lies are you willing to support in order to ma- ma- maintain majority rule? And mm-hmm. ultimately that is what I think that ends up being one of the most divisive, destructive elements of uh, the end of uh, a civilization. You know, you look at what happened to Rome and, and, uh, uh, and you could argue certain, you know, in, in capitalism, ultimately, it's the special interests, it's the elites that are served by the powers that be. And um, and that's, again, fear of loss, fear of control. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think right now, if we were going to dive in, have you dealt with and talk to or work with people who have exited cults, um, discovered the lie, and then um, what's 
the probability in your experience of people who just adopt a new lie because that's wired into them. They just take on a new institutional identity or truly break free and craft their own identity or what are some of the other behaviors you've noticed? So, uh, and I, I have a specific reason I want to ask this, but I want to ask some core fundamental questions first. Well, one of the things, yes, I've worked with many people that have exited. And sometimes, interestingly enough, it's a crisis of their own soul, the kind of a dark night where they, uh, you know, try on the belief system and then decide that it's faulty based on what they've seen with their own um, eyes. Uh, there was apparently a politician once that said, are you going to believe me or your own lion eyes? You know? Oh, that's great. <laughs> so uh, in people I've worked with that have woken up, I think that what wakes them up is a combination of the dark night of the soul plus a lot of oftentimes social stimulation from members of their family. You know, like I think of one situation uh, with a, a Scientologist um, person who had um, separated himself from that organization. You know, his some of his family kind of staged an intervention and said, look, I know you're in this organization, but look at the rest of your life is falling apart. You know, and so that helped wake him up, um, just having that family pressure on it. But that's not enough a lot of times because I've seen other situations where family pressure is applied and the person just becomes even more locked in. In fact, that was one of the things that impressed me about watching the Nexium documentary. Um, you know, like picture yourself, Mike, being in a group and somebody comes over to you and says, the leader really likes you, would like to have sex with you. It's a spiritual thing. It's a real compliment, you know. And, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't picture myself going along with that one, but but I can picture some of my friends <laughs> that haven't gotten laid in a while. <laughs> that would be very attractive, you know. Yeah. And so, but that was amazing to me that the, a, a rather to me he wasn't a real special looking guy. Could get you're talking those, the Nexium guy? The Nexium guy. Yeah. You know? Which he, he was just. Yeah, for and for our uh, viewers and listeners, um, if you're watching this right now, I'm going to switch to this. You can see him. So this is the vow, um, which I watched. Uh, I thought was very, very interesting, very fascinating. And um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a little guy, but in his case, there you can see the the um, uh, symbol that was ta uh, branded on some branded, of these people. Yeah. Um, but wow, it was so fascinating. And I really, uh, I enjoyed watching it. And I think part of what was appealing again was a, he provided hope and a structure for salvation. So as um, I think another core wiring that's built in here. And again, if you look at um Scientology falls in the same category of this. And there's some good Scientology documentaries as well. Um, and, and frankly, LDS, the, the uh, Mormon church has been having some big struggles because a lot of people are talking. And I, I know someone who just left in less than the past year. And he just said, I couldn't, 
I couldn't hold the lies in my head, the misinformation that was going on. And I know, I know too many people who pretend to be things they aren't at, um, in, in the church. There was uh, so, um, <clears throat> but part of what I think happens is if you're presented with a structure for salvation and imagine in the, the, the classic hero's journey, the hero, you, are guided by a mentor or a god or a whatever towards salvation. So once upon a time, they lived happily ever after the end. But along the way, you slay a dragon, you rescue the prince or you're discovered by the prince, you rescue the princess, um, you take on the uh, qualities of a hero. And, and if you are incrementally uh, rewarded with acknowledgement, recognition, badges, and levels. I think this is one of the things, like I meet so many people who, uh, from a practical purpose, accomplish nothing, but they become uh, recognition addicts, meaning they go to school and they go there to get another degree or another uh, piece of paper, but do nothing with it, nothing real anyway. That's the That's another addiction. And I think it's an easy way out from doing the real work or the hard work, which is join a cult, operate within a rule set, get rewarded, and and uh, and have acknowledgement inside a community. It's not real. Um, you end up being a slave more often than not that serves the master. Um, and I see that as a, a very common, uh, uh, you know, as a commonality here as well. Yeah, and I think that's one of the extreme ironies of the whole thing is that a lot of people go into these uh, organizations looking for some kind of freedom. And there is a certain freedom in having somebody tell you what to do all the time. Yeah, <laughs> the, it's the, it's the, the freedom great easy not... way out. The illusion of freedom is is bondage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, based on our conversation so far, I have even less desire to join a cult now than I did when we started 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, as I uh, look through this, so I, I want to just uh, close a couple of loops though, which, um, you know, we talked about Nexium, the, the documentary to watch, in my opinion, is The Vow. There's, it's fascinating as hell. And you really meet the guy, like I found the founder captivating and interesting even though uh him and the woman who was the other leader in there I, I didn't find either of them particularly charismatic at first they're not like beautiful people um but they had that special it factor and they delivered an emotional release and the promise of it. And they always kept you wanting more. That's another thing that every cult, every religion, there's an infinite number of layers and levels and you can never get to the top. Um, that's one thing for sure. Um, the other one that we talked about was again, um, uh, the one about um, Scientology. We didn't go in that, but there's a, a, uh, a series that's uh, if it hasn't hit, it's about to, as of the time we're making this from Leah Ramini. Um, 
Oh yes, I've heard yeah. of it. I haven't seen it. I think so, I think it's out there. Okay, yeah. So um yeah, it is. Yep, Scientology in the aftermath. And um she was just on um I think she was on the Joe Rogan podcast, but there's um you know, this I've seen a couple uh, shows, documentaries. I found them very interesting as well. I think Scientology, um, just the very notion of it, especially given the fact that I've always been a big Frank Zappa fan and Joe's Garage was a uh, portrayal. Have you, do you remember listening to Joe's Garage, the album? No. no. Never liked Joe. Well, in the, in the album, it's all about a guy who um, uh, ends up, having sex with like this robot and um, it's all tied to uh, a Scientology thing. So everything's a big metaphor. It's a stack metaphor. It's very, very uh, uh, heady and intellectual, but it's absolutely hilarious. And I got exposed to that album before I really got exposed to Scientology. So I couldn't take, take it seriously. And of (laughs) course, if you, um, uh, watch any South Park, they do a great job of ripping, ripping into that. But the last thing I wanted to encourage everyone, if they haven't checked out the social dilemma, which we really didn't tap into is um, how social media has been engineered. I believe accidentally, I think the, the net result of social um, media, it all started as how can we keep people glued to the screens and on our site and really, really smart people who studied a lot of psychology and user interface design got together, they brainstormed, and they iterated in real life with hundreds of millions of people and had AI looking at the data and figuring out patterns. And now that the cat's out of the bag, there's no way to turn this thing back. There's no way any government can ever regulate this. The This is, if there ever could be an undoing for human society, it would be to say, we as human beings can't regulate or control this. So what we're going to do is we're going to create an AI that monitors stuff based upon a rule set, and we're going to put the AI in charge. Those who agree we should keep the guns and the heroin needles and the addictive tools out of the hands of our children, raise their hands. Okay, it's better for society. It's better for democracy. It's better for capitalism. So let's uh, turn on the AI overlords and give up our power. Oops. Uh, <laughs> that's a good foundation for a science, but, but really that's a science fiction movie or book, but that there's no way we can back out of this right now. And the social dilemma doesn't quite go that far. But um, if you watch some black mirror episodes, are you, have you watched any of those? No, I haven't. No. Oh my God. So this is the, good present day version of uh, the outer limits or twilight zone put in high tech uh, where people are, are um, controlled, manipulated, literally blocked out. You know, you could take an um, augmented reality and virtual reality is so powerful that you can turn someone off and you can't hear them or see them. So uh, through an app, <clears throat> you literally can disown someone and they, they cease to exist in your physical reality. Just wild stuff like that. They take it to the nth degree. So, um, well, any other thoughts on this uh, this baby now that I uh, let that cat out of the bag? I've got some TV catching up to do. I think down at the bottom of everything, though, is always a quest for authenticity that human beings are going through. And 
part of that is finding out what our true identity is. Who am I? You know, the, um, the great uh, Indian teacher, Ramakrishna, back in the 19th century, his whole procedure was to have people sit down and just keep asking, who am I? Who am I? To get down to that place that's beyond whatever identities we've glommed onto out of fear and hunger. It's a lifelong yeah. quest. Yeah. Well, that and uh, if you are doing your real work, it's not static. Um, we're dynamic, complex beings. I don't think that there's an ultimate who am I answer. And and if if there is, um, good for you. I don't feel like, I mean, I, I look at each of my identities and reinventions, and I'm sure that there's this one core force that's consistent but um, I'm not sure what it is. And I, you know, I, I'm afraid that the, um, from the inside of the bottle, I can't see the outside of the label. Yes. I think some famous person said the uh, instructions for how to get out of the box are written on the outside of the box. True that. True that. <laughs> That's great. I love well, it. again, we've, uh, we've opened up a giant area here and I don't know if we've solved any problems or not, but uh, I uh, hope we've shed a little bit of a light on the situation. I think so too. So, um, well, we can um, uh, officially bring this episode episode to a close. But before we do that, one of the best things that you can do is, as usual, uh, vote this. Subscribe if you're not a subscriber on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, rate it review it and share it with someone you know who could benefit from an episode like this. Maybe someone who's locked into some kind of an identity constraint. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you'd like uh, and subscribe to this channel, that would be awesome too. So Gay, another great episode. I appreciate you very much. Appreciate you too. And don't forget everybody to go over to uh, Big Leap event and uh, sign up over there. Yes, that is true. Good call. Good call because we are doing the big leap year together and we'd love to spend some time with you, get to know you better and uh, join a non-cult way to um, to have a better, better life. So thanks for that. Thanks, everybody.